Chapter 2 of Mimic Life, or Before and Behind the Curtain, a series of narratives by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 2 of Stella. Stella's first thought the next morning was of the anticipated letter. The ever-willing Mattie was dispatched to the post office long before it was possible for the letter to be delivered. During her absence, Stella's restless spirit lengthened the minutes to hours through its tormenting disquietude. At last her straining eyes caught sight of Mattie in the distance. She carried something white in her hand and walked at a rapid pace. But that quick tread was slow to the expectant girl. She darted out of the room and returned in an instant, exultantly holding up the letter. "'It has come, mother, my brother's letter. Now all is right, all is arranged.' "'Read it out loud, dear, will you?' replied her mother in a more animated tone than usual. Stella had already torn open the seal, destroying a portion of the writing. Her eyes glanced rapidly over the page. The paper shook in her hands. Gradually her countenance changed. The mantling blood flew back from her cheeks. The delighted expression died out of her eyes. She read silently and on to the close, and then the letter fell from her nerveless grasp. "'What ails you? What does your brother say?' Stella drew herself up with a look of resolution, almost of defiance, and exclaimed, "'Why should it matter? It shall not matter. Nothing now shall turn me from my purpose. Ernest should have known me better.' She gave the letter to her mother, paced the room with an agitated step, her hands clasped over her head, her favorite attitude, in deep meditation. Mrs. Rosenvelt, with great deliberation, as though she had been called upon to make some overpowering effort, turned to her son's letter and read, New York, March blank, 18 blank. Sweetest sister in the world, I took a day to reflect upon your letter, and the delay has not altered my first conviction. Stella, you know well that I reverence the profession which I adopted from choice. I toil in it with delight. I glory in the rough road over which, step by step, I may climb to eminence. You also know that I look upon none of the world's baseless prejudices as more false, more vulgar, than that which presupposes that a woman who enters this profession hazards her spotless character or is even subjected to more than ordinary temptations. If the lodestar of purity dwell in her heart, it attracts to itself only that which is pure. If light thoughts inhabit there, and evil passions convulse in her breast, then may the stage prove perilous. What place is safe to such infected blood? Many unfortunates have brought their frailties here, and thus desecrated our temples of art, but I do not believe that through the consequences of the profession one chaste woman ever fell. For you, my sister, whose mind has been precept-strengthened, 
whose spirit is in strong proof of chastity well armed i should have no fears of shoals and quicksands but to launch you upon this life of turmoil contention perpetual struggling you my delicately nurtured sensitive excitable sister heaven forbid to bid you who have been environed from your cradle with the appliances of ease opulence exist upon the capricious breath the uncertain suffrages of the public never to throw you with a nervous system so highly strung that its chords can be played upon by every chance breeze into this whirlwind of excitement never i implore you to abandon all thoughts of the stage as a profession your talents may qualify you for its adoption your temperament and education do not the sense of fitness produced by the former is neutralized by the latter to procure you an engagement here would not be possible the only two positions you could hold are permanently occupied and now dear sister let me ask why should you trouble your unarithmetical brain with calculations about the cost of existence true my salary is limited at this moment but it will provide in a moderate way for you and my mother but the future is rich in promise and they will not be of long duration will you trust you, your brother's judgment will you heed his warning will you not say yes and that you pardon him for gainsaying the beloved being whose wishes he never before thwarted my love to our dear mother take care of her and for your own sake and for that of your devoted brother ernest rosenvelt as mrs rosenvelt finished the letter she gazed with a troubled expression at her daughter who was still pacing the room her hands tightly clasped her pale lips compressed her whole soul evidently in tumult stella what ernest says is so reasonable so right right for him mother but wrong for me should i heed him why should i sit with folded hands growing weary of my own purposeless existence while he strains every nerve in the exercise of his faculties to what end has heaven gifted me with equal talents if i am not to use them ask mr oakland whether or not i possess them sensitive excitable and unaccustomed to hardships i may be as he says but what i am is not what i may become through fitting discipline pray be calm stella it distresses me to hear you talk in that wild tone what then do you propose to do not to discuss the matter with my brother my arguments will not move him nor have his moved me but unless you forbid it mother and i pray you do not do so i must still obey the dictates of this strong impulse within me i must become an actress how is it possible without your brother's assistance i must make it possible only tell me that you do not oppose the attempt no not exactly if there is no other way of contenting you but thank you mother and let me crush in the bud all buts now i must consult mr oakland we will pass over stella's interview with her tutor he took sides with her brother and refused either to advise or assist her in attaining an engagement stella was disconcerted but not conquered 
Her self-reliant nature was not dependent upon extraneous support. That very afternoon she addressed letters to the managers of three theaters in Boston, earnestly requesting an immediate reply. She also wrote to her brother and apprised him of her unaltered determination. A week passed. Her letters to managers brought no answers. The reply from her brother showed that he counted upon the difficulty of obtaining an engagement and looked forward to her discouragement and final abandonment of the project. During the week, Stella paid daily visits to Mr. Oakland, and her studies were prosecuted as energetically as though every arrangement for her debut was concluded. Mr. Oakland imagined that her fever would be damped by the neglect on the part of the managers, and opposition on that of her brother. He might as well have hoped to see a fire quenched by the adverse blowing of the wind, which only makes it blaze the higher. "'Is it not strange that I have received no reply?' she inquired of the tutor. "'Not very,' was his dry reply. "'Managers are not apt to notice letters which may emanate from pretenders of all sorts.' They are generally looked upon as the effusions of stage-struck misses, who place an estimate upon their own abilities and the attractions which the public is not likely to have the complacence to endorse. And what shall I do to convince them that I do not belong to this class? I have already said that I would have no agency in this matter, that I would not even advise you. True, my dear, unconquerable mentor, I know that you are obstinate, as obstinate as myself. If managers will not notice my letter, and if I cannot persuade anyone to intercede for me, there is but one alternate left. I must essay the eloquence of my own tongue. I must plead in person. That is what I intend to do next. Do not be too sure of success even then remarked mr oakland oracularly at all events i echo the words of my country's hero and i pin my faith to his colors i'll try so good morning had you not better wait had you not better reflect a while urged mr oakland detaining her there is no truer admission than the old friars too swift arrives as tardy as too slow I am more inclined to heed him than was the impetuous youth whom his warning was wasted. They stumble who run fast may be true enough when the pulses beat sluggishly, but the rapid strokes of mine sound the alarm for instant action. So bestow upon me one good benedicte, good friar Lawrence, and let me be gone. The next morning, accompanied by the faithful Maddie, Stella presented herself at the front entrance of a theatrical establishment which, in those days, held the highest rank in Boston. She drew back to escape notice, and desired Mattie to inquire at the box office if Mr. Grimshaw could be seen. "'How many tickets? What circle?' asked a gruff voice. "'None, thank you. The lady wishes to see the manager.' "'This is not the place to inquire.' "'And um, what is the place?' questioned Maddy, prompted by Stella's whisper. "'Make it there, my good woman. You're preventing people from coming up to get their tickets. Get out, will you?' 
Maddie was retiring, but Stella whispered to her again. "'It's on business, sir. We would be obliged for you to inform us which way we should inquire.' "'Private entrance. Round the corner. Make your way there, I say.' Stella was glad to retreat. The crowd of ticket purchasers gathering around the box office surveyed her with impertinent glances. The private entrance. She and Maddie sought for it in vain. They went round the corner, according to direction, trying the nearest corner, then inspecting the furthest corner, and then the first corner again. They expected to discover a place of admission resembling the ladies' entrance to some fashionable hotel. "'Ask that boy,' said Stella, designating a well-dressed youth who was intently perusing the playbill. Maddie made the inquiry. The stripling hardly raised his eyes from the promised dramatic feast as he gave vent to a careless, "'Don't bother me!' Stella accosted him herself. He looked up at the sound of her musical voice, evidently mistaking her from the nature of her question for some young actress recently engaged he bowed and said in a tone of sudden interest allow me to show you he pointed out a small rough-looking door which opened up into a narrow alleyway stella was disconcerted at the uninviting locality she pressed close to mattie and grasped her dress with vague fear as they entered the young girl took a step or two, then hesitated, and stopped. "'Which way must we go to see the manager?' "'You'll find a door at the end of the passage, which opens into the theatre. But, as you appear to be strangers, permit me to lead the way.' They followed him through the close and by no means odoriferous or cleanly alley. There was a door at the end, upon which the youth loudly knocked. It was opened by an individual with a rubicund face and heavy bloodshot eyes. "'Show this lady to Mr. Grimshaw's office,' said the boy with an authoritative air. It conveyed the impression that the lady in question was expected by Mr. Grimshaw and had the right to enter. Stella gracefully thanked her escort and, with Mattie, followed the sleepy doorkeeper. At first they appeared to be in an almost total darkness. She could not imagine into what part of the theater they had been ushered. What was that Maddie struck against? Keep clear of the wings, drawled out their slumberous guide. They were behind the scenes then, that mysterious haunt of Melpomene, Euterpe, Terpsichore into which she had so longed to intrude, behind the scenes of a theatre. Ah, indefinite, wondering awe began to steal over her, but hardly of the kind which cries out, Put the shoes from off thy feet! Through winding nooks and passages crowded with scenery hardly visible in the dim light, they followed their conductor, trying to peer into the gloom, and fathom some of the supposed marvels of the theatrical labyrinth. He knocked at a door. Enter, sounded from within, in such a deep, sepulchral tone, it might have appropriately issued from a tomb, a stage tomb, or been uttered by the ghost of Hamlet. A lady for you, sir. 
the man threw open the door and retraced his steps along the untrodden ways which stella had just threaded for the first time seated at a table which was covered with playbills and manuscript was a grim-looking man in a would-be heroic attitude his long shaggy hair fell around a cadaverous visage his dark eyes were studiously fierce his attire had a melodramatic air from a tie of the cravat to the cut of his coat mr grimshaw was an actor as well as a manager he belonged to that numerous class of thespians who never cease personating their favorite character to whom the world is as much a stage as the actual boards stella's courage began sensibly to ooze away how fervently she wished herself out of the dramatic lion's den mr grimshaw i believe she murmured timidly even so replied the unearthly voice i think you received a letter signed stella rosenvelt about a week or so proceed stella fancied his tone had sunk a portentous octave lower i am stella rosenveld she seated herself unbidden mattie had offered a chair proceed i am desirous i am seeking that is it is my wish to obtain an engagement in some theatre this one if possible what line still with tragic intonation i beg pardon sir what did you say what line i do not understand what business my business i have just told you sir what line of business the words were thundered out with a touch of regal wrath the stage sir as i said before the manager rolled his eyes at the marvellous unsophistication of this person to whom he condescended to give audience what have you acted nothing as yet sir novice ah yes sir what situation yes sir what line sir tragedy comedy walking lady singing chambermaid what line wind up the watch of your wit and strike oh exclaimed stella comprehending at last such characters as juliet and desdemona and portia juvenile tragedy my favorite business give us a taste of your quality waving his hand majestically sir anything don't matter what a touch of the tragic if you like but suit the action to the word the word to the action with this special observance that you or step not the modesty of nature for anything so overdone is not the purpose of playing whose end both at the first and now was and is to hold as it were the mirror up to nature to show virtue her own features scorn her own image and the very age and body of time is form and pressure this memorable injunction was delivered by mr grinshaw 
with a stilted declamation that admirably illustrated the old saying, Do as I preach, not as I do. Stella trembled from head to foot as she falteringly asked, Shall I recite Portia's address to Shylock? Proceed! After a moment's hesitation, she rose, paused, then in an uncertain, husky tone commenced, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle dew from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that give and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power. The attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the fear and dread of kings, but mercy is above the sceptred sway. It is enthroned in the hearts. The door opened. Stella ceased. A bold-visaged but handsome female, in showy attire, entered the rooms. Hearts, echoed she contemptuously. Hearts. Really, I hope I don't intrude, as Paul Pry says. Silence ejaculated Mr. Grimshaw. Note you, not this young person, hath into bondage wrought my too diligent ear. Only diligent when there's mischief brewing, retorted the lady, glancing rudely at Stella. Mr. Grimshaw gave her a ferocious look, then turned to the frightened girl, and, in stentorian voice, cried out, Proceed! The hearts, the hearts of kings, continued Stella, it is enthroned in the hearts of kings, she paused. The scornful eyes of her new auditor took away her voice and dimmed her memory. Proceed, repeated Mr. Grimshaw, but Stella was unable to comply. She dropped silently into her seat. Very entertaining, really, was the sarcastic feminine comment. I ought to apologize for interrupting your private theatricals. Stella turned haughtily to the manager. Did I understand you, sir, that you might possibly give me an engagement an engagement almost shrieked the lady you ventured you dared to promise her an engagement in this theatre when the leading parts such as i presume she has the impertinence to inspire to from what i heard her spouting all belong to me madam exclaimed the manager pleasurably excited at the prospect of a scene in real life. Madam, and he thrust his long fingers through his tangled hair. Doubt me not, but listen. I have listened, and hear me for my cause, and be silent that you may hear. Sella could endure this contest no longer. She rose with dignity and said, I have evidently misunderstood you, sir, and I must bid you good morning. May I beg that you will order someone to show me the way out? Show you the way out? Repeated the lady with an insolent laugh. 
nothing will do with more pleasure and you needn't remember your road back nick called mr grimshaw to a boy who was passing the door with a basket on his shoulder show these ladies through the front entrance nick's the guide you generally give your pupils but your paths are usually the back ways stella and mattie could not avoid hearing this coarse remark as the door was slammed to behind them descending a stairway they soon found themselves in the box office and a moment afterwards in the street stella checked her attendant's affectionate volubility with it's too dreadful i can't talk of it mattie let's hasten us home my head is whirling she had not abandoned her scheme but her resolution had received a shock leaving mattie to give her own account of their adventure to mrs rosenvelt stella retired to her chamber deeply mortified and inclined to chide every breather living with her mercurial temperament this mood could not last she was too buoyant too sanguine too full of resources she resolved to implore her brother to furnish her with a letter of introduction to some manager of standing that would smooth her way she would deliver it in person and doubtless procure the desired engagement a morning paper was lying before her of late she had read all the theatrical intelligence other public news possessed little interest her eyes rested upon a eulogistic obituary of miss lydia talbot a young actress whose loss the dramatic community was loudly lamenting as the stock star of a popular theatre in boston she had shown several years in the dramatic firmament the writer remarked that no actress yet had been found upon whose shoulder her mantle could worthily fall a crowd of hopes rushed with headlong impetuosity into stella's quick suggesting brain they filled the atmosphere with rainbow tints and lifted her up on soaring wings she glanced at the next column and every hope assumed form and substance and stood before her a reality the manager of the theatre to which miss talbot formerly belonged advertised that the situation of leading lady in his theatre was vacant he invited immediate application from gifted members of the profession the hours between ten and three that day were appointed for the personal reception of candidates eureka cried stella internally she turned to the clock it wanted a quarter of ten before the hour sounded she and mattie were on their way to the theatre end of chapter two